Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Having a Grand Time. For seniors who are adjusting to retirement and aging, May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. The title of our message today is The Delightful Dilemma. The Delightful Dilemma. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 25, very familiar passage, particularly the first verse. Paul writes, actually from prison, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Let me share an illustration with you that I got probably on email somewhere entitled, I'm Fine. Farmer Joe was suing a trucking company for injuries sustained in an accident. In court, the company's fancy lawyer was questioning Farmer Joe. Now, didn't you say at the scene of the accident, I'm fine, asked the lawyer. Farmer Joe responded, well, I'll tell you what happened. I just loaded my favorite mule, Bessie, into the... I didn't ask for any details, the lawyer interrupted. Just answer the question. Did you not say at the scene of the accident, I'm fine? Farmer Joe continued, well... I had just got Bessie into the trailer and I was driving down the road. The lawyer interrupted again and said, Judge, I am trying to establish the fact that at the scene of the accident, this man told the highway patrolman that he was just fine. Now, several months after the accident, he's suing my client. I believe he is a fraud. Please tell him to simply answer the question. But the judge was kind of interested in Farmer Joe's story and said to the lawyer, I'd like to hear what he has to say about his mule, Bessie. Joe thanked the judge and proceeded, well, as I was saying, I had just loaded Bessie, my favorite mule, into the trailer, was driving her down the highway when this huge semi-truck and trailer ran the stop sign, smacked into my truck right in the side. I was thrown into one ditch. Bessie was thrown into the other. I was hurting real bad and didn't want to move. However, I could hear old Bessie moaning and groaning. I knew she was in terrible shape just by her groans. Shortly after the accident, a highway patrolman came on the scene. I could hear Bessie moaning and groaning, so he went, he could hear her moaning and groaning, so he went over to her. After he looked at her, he took out his gun and shot her between the eyes. Then the patrolman came across the road with his gun in his hand and looked at me. He said, your mule was in such bad shape I had to shoot her. How are you feeling? Now, what we read today in Philippians, Philippians is one of four letters that Paul wrote while he was in jail. So he wasn't sitting out on the veranda with a mint julep in his hand, hot and cold running servants around, a breeze, soft breeze blowing through, birds singing. He was in a prison. And you think, when you read this, he's talking about choices, and let's see, I could depart and be with the Lord, or I could stay around and help you guys, and you think this poor fellow, he's gone stark raving mad. He's in jail. He can't go out and help these people. He can write in this little letter, but he's like he's got this big choice. One thing you don't have in prison is very many choices. I mean, you can be good or be bad, and if you're bad, you're punished, and if you're good, you're still in jail. So, I mean, choices is just not 
what you have a lot of in prison, regardless of whether or not you're there innocently or not. And you think, well, what kind of choices did Paul have anyway? To eat the slop in the plate or not eat the slop in the plate and go hungry. I mean, there were, just weren't any good choices there. And, and yet you, you, you see in him kind of this sort of a, a, a liberty and a freedom uh, as though he weren't in jail. How many of you remember Mad Magazine? Now, this is sort of back, you know, in between for some, some of you. But remember Alfred E. Newman with this, I don't know, was it a gap or a tooth missing or something? And he's always there grinning. And what was the phrase over it? What? Me worry? I never quite figured out why that was like that. But anyway, that's what it was. And, but that's the, the sense you get from Paul here. It's like, what? Me worry? Yeah, well, they, tomorrow they might chop off my head. There's nothing good to eat. I'm just around these uh, prison guards that are pretty coarse fellows. I can't go out and do my spiritual gift and all the things I used to do. And in fact, in the book, just in the book of Philippians, there are 13 reasons, things he mentioned, that any one of them would have been enough to send a normal person into depression. And yet he's not depressed. It's like, what, me worry? And that's one of the things that when we talk about the delightful dilemma, we want to talk about to cultivate a holy indifference to what happens. You came in here today, and if, if we'd have given you a piece of paper that says, write down everything you're anxious about, worried about, concerned about, you'd have had some things to write down. You'd have had some family members, you'd have had some health concerns, you'd have had some thoughts of, well, what if I, uh, God blesses me so much, I, I live to 120, I won't have any money, I'll, you know, so it's like, if I go this way, trouble, if I go that way, it's worse, you know, it's a, and you'd write down all of these things. And Paul is like, I don't have anything to write down, a holy indifference. Uh, to what happens. And Paul, actually, he, he mentions two things here. He says, I could stick around, and he said that would mean fruitful labor for me, or I could depart and go to be with, with God. He is caught in a delightful dilemma. It's not between a rock and a hard place. It's between the steak and the lobster. It's between the Bahamas or Hawaii. It's between Wildwood or Lake Carolina. It's you, when, when somebody's there between the steak and the lobster, you don't say, oh, that poor person, what are they going to do? They've had it. They're sunk. You know, let's, get, let's put it on the prayer chain. You know, they're going to either get stuck with the steak or the lobster. You say, no, it must be nice. Isn't it wonderful to be caught between delightful alternatives? What a luxury. Hard-pressed between wonderful choices. Paul says, I am torn between the two. Not two bad things, two great things. Now again, remember where he's sitting. He's in prison. And so you're still sort of wondering, has he gone mad? Or has he found a secret? And I think he's found a secret that I need to instruct my heart on. So let's look at his two choices. What, let's look at his delightful dilemma. He says, well, one possibility is I could depart. I want you to notice that he doesn't say, I could die. He has changed the D word from death to depart. Because for a true believer in Jesus Christ, death has already been overcome. And so even though the, the body goes through it, the, the real you, the, the, your spirit, you're kind of going along, and there's kind of a a dip in the road. You know how they have a sign, you're going down the road, it says dip, you know, and then 
halftime, you couldn't figure out what was the dip, you know? Uh, and you're, you're going along, and, and in, in life, when, when everyone else thinks you've died, it was a dip, and you think, well, that wasn't so bad. Haven't you been through some things that you thought, this is going to be awful, it's going to be terrible, you go through it, and, and once you get through it, it says, that wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. And Paul realizes that when you die in the Lord, in the will of the Lord, trusting him, praising him, it's not death, it's just a departure. And we need to cultivate a heart for heaven. If we're not looking forward to heaven a whole lot every day, and every day stronger, then we're living a substandard Christian life. I want you to think about the word anticipation. Anticipation. How many of you have a dog? Or have ever had a dog? Come on now, dog lovers. What is the word that the dog is waiting all day to hear? W-A-L-K. My father would say that anywhere in the house. Well, why don't we walk the dogs? He, would, he wouldn't even have to raise his voice. We would hear this, the dogs are coming in, their tails are wagging, you know. And it doesn't do at that point to say, oh, we were just kidding. You know, they, they don't, that's not in their vocabulary. All they know is you said walk, they're ready. Think about a groom a week before his wedding. I would say the, the bride, but she's got so much in her head that it's, it's, it's complicated. But the groom is uh, more of a simple soul, and he's thinking, man, in a week all this will be over, and I'll have her in my arms. That's anticipation. I want you to think about a student who, after 23 years of studying in seminary, finally graduates. That's anticipation. We, had a, uh, we lived with a family, and they had a little boy who was like, I guess, eight years old at the time, and whenever he'd get excited with anticipation, he would start to blow on his fists. We've never forgotten that. He'd go, <laughs> because he was just, he was about to pop. Can't wait for this thing to happen. Is that how you feel about heaven? Anticipation. When God just says, well, we could go to heaven, and you're like the dog. <laughs> wait, I can't wait to get there. Is it today? When are we going to get there? Anticipation. Anticipation of what? And in the first place, anticipation of resurrection. The bodily resurrection is something real. It's going to happen every day. It's one day closer. Do you realize the longest chapter in the whole New Testament epistles of all the letters written from Romans all the way through Revelation, the longest chapter in all of those books is the chapter on the bodily resurrection. It's going to be the best ride you ever took. Some of you used to like to go to the fair and you'd do all of those crazy rides and stuff that your parents weren't so sure about, but you had a great time and you may have had your favorite ride. I mean, now that was the ride. If you could have just had some more money to do that 10 more times. Well, this is going to be the best ride you've ever been on. The bodily resurrection, where you, where you rise up to meet the Lord. And when you think about heaven, do you think much about heaven? It's not just streets of gold. It's that you're finally going to be home. You don't have to move ever again. There will be no more fears. Some of you have struggled all your life with fears. There won't be any more fear. There won't be any more anxiety. There won't be any more tears. There won't be any more goodbyes. There'll just be hellos as the next crop gets there. Hey, you know, great. And heaven gets just sweeter and sweeter and sweeter as it fills up with all the people that God has loved and we, and we love. You won't have to go to a single more funeral. Your funeral is the last one you have to go to. 
After that, man, it's just hellos and birthdays and parties. And, and in heaven, we say hello to health. You will never again have anything to complain about. Now, maybe you've gotten so used to complaining, you're going to kind of miss it, you know, but you won't miss it. You won't miss it at all. You say hello to wealth. You say hello to joy. You say hello to peace. You say hello to family and friends. All of your family line, the people you just read about, your great-grandfather, your great-great-great-grandfather, you're going to meet this whole host of people who says, we're kin, we're related. And then all the others you're related to through the Lord. Then, after you work your way through all of this crowd and people saying, oh, yes, and, and I remember when you helped me and you prayed for me and all of this thing, and then you say, oh, and they're the people that were in the Bible. There's Moses, there's Noah, there's David. I have wanted to meet you for so long. And, 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 and finally, you'll see Jesus. And you'll see his face. And, and you'll realize he, he's always known me. He's always loved me. My name has always been in his heart and on his lips. And you're just going to kind of melt in a puddle and think, why wasn't I looking forward to this? This is better than anything I ever dreamed it could be in anything, even my happiest days on earth. I'm home. I'm home. I'm home. You'll be able to ask God all the questions you ever had or else you won't care about your questions anymore. Who knows? It's like, like you'll be drunk but not be drunk, you know? It's like that's reality. You're just having a wonderful time, and it will never end. Some of you have enjoyed certain days so much that it was mixed with pain because it had to end. And almost as soon as that, their children, that, that their birthday starts, and they're so excited, but they think, oh, no, tomorrow what won't be my birthday. And so they try and squeeze everything out of it, but they know the clock is ticking and the, the, the not birthday is coming. Once you get to heaven, there's not a not heaven after that. It'll be that way forever and ever. But, but you think, well, what is it like? Well, will I really like it? Because I kind of like it here, actually. Uh, when I can get what I want and, and eat what I want and do what I want, maybe I can't always do that, but, and I can't run the clock back, but I've, kinda, I've really sort of taken a shine to the earth, and I, God's earth is beautiful, and his people are nice and everything. I like, I like it here. But so what, what's it like at a feeling level in heaven? Well, I like to think of it this way. Take all of the greatest pleasures you've ever had in your life, uh, grandchildren, things with the Lord, things with uh, eating, traveling, pets, put it all together, add to it all of the treasures you've ever had in your life, add to it all the best meals you've ever had in your life, and the best friendships, Roll it all up into one, multiply that by a million. And that's what the first day in heaven is like. It's going to be so wonderful that you would otherwise, you would have a heart attack, except that in heaven you can't have a heart attack. I mean, it's going to hit you like that of how incredibly wonderful it is. And your one regret will be that you drug your feet. Instead of saying, Lord, whenever you're ready, man. That's what Paul's saying. He says, I'll stick around if I need to, but whenever you're ready, Lord, for me to depart, because I'm not going to die. I'm just going to depart. I'm going to hit the bump in the road. Man, we're home free, man. I'm home forever and ever and ever. But Paul says, I have another choice. That's not the only choice. I could depart. And he says, if we're just going to talk selfishly, 
I kind of lean that way. He says, but I do have another choice. I could remain on in fruitful labor for others. Again, you're thinking, Paul, hello, you're in jail. You just have the jailer there, and you already talked to him, and he doesn't want to talk anymore. And you can send a, an occasional letter, but how do you even know they're getting to anybody? Maybe they're, the dog is eating them, you know, at the door. But Paul says, I could remain on in fruitful labor for others. Other people need you. That's the other truth. Other people here, as long as you are here, till your last day, people need you. No, Henry, they don't need me. They don't want me. They don't call me. They don't write me. I give them things. They don't thank me. They don't need me. People need you. Not everybody needs you the same way, and some people need you, and they don't know you. they need you. They need your prayers. They need your love. They need you to keep standing firm in the faith in a godless age. Your light, if you have believed in Christ with all your heart, your light, your life is one of the lights on this planet. And that's why we will be the poorer when you have to depart. And you have some jobs to do before it's time for you to go. And you need to focus on that and value that. Instead of letting the devil say, oh, now you can't do anything, a shadow of your former self, you used to be able to do this and that and the other. It's just different opportunities at different times. But you have the opportunity even if you, like Paul, feeling in jail, he says, nevertheless, God has some things for me to do. He has some people that need what I can give, and I want to value that and not criticize that, not belittle that, not uh, undervalue that and say, oh, that's worthless. Let God be the judge. I want to tell you that your state of affairs has little or nothing to do with your state of mind. I'm going to say that again. Your state of affairs, your circumstances, your state of affairs, your health, your money, all other things, your state of affairs has relatively little or nothing to do with your state of mind. If you need your circumstances to change so that you can be okay, then no change in your circumstances is going to make you okay. That's not the problem of our hearts and our attitude and everything else. Paul had every reason to be depressed. His state of affairs was terrible. His state of mind was wonderful. It's in Philippians that he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. He says, Oh, he's really lost it now. Poor guy. You know, bring him the straitjacket. No, he's found it. He found the secret. And if he can find it in, in jail, beat up, all by himself, never did get married, no kids, no grandkids, no dog, no good food. He says, I'm doing great. How about you? feel bad for myself. Look at... How Jesus, you think about Jesus on the cross. You talk about a limiting situation. Racked with pain, deserted by all who loved him, bearing, suffering because of a lot of bad things other people did. That's pretty hard, isn't it? Physically, absolutely handicapped. Stretched out and hours away from death. In a period of six hours, he was just able to breathe out seven short sentences. They dropped like liquid diamonds on the planet. They were the seven last words of Christ. Every year during the Tenebrae service, it takes us the whole service just to talk about those seven last words. What were they of? 
my back hurts. I don't think he mentioned his back. It probably hurt. My hands, they put nails through my hands. Didn't say that. It says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. There is always something God has for you to do to bless others. Don't get so fixed on feeling between a rock and a hard place that you miss it. He lives in you. You are one of his lights on this earth. We must keep our focus on others. Ask God to use your pain and your problems as a megaphone to shout out to a dying world. He lives, and I'm going to live forever. I don't need any pity. I'm doing great. How about you? You may be in situations that are like a prison, and these are situations that confine you, and you can't go and do what you used to do. It might be going into assisted living if you're not. It might be going from assisted living into a hospital bed. It might be going from a hospital bed to ICU. Holy indifference, couldn't care less. I'm going to ask God to bless me and give me the, the best health that he wants, but I'm going to trust that at whatever stage I am in my health, he's got some people he wants me to bless. And I want to keep an other's focus because most of those nurses that are working there are overworked, some are having trouble with their marriage, some are depressed, and they've got a hard job. God has sent you there. You're one of the few little bright lights of their whole day. Anne, how are you doing today? Now, I pray, I'm still praying for you for that relationship you've got with that guy, and I'm not real sure about some of the decisions you're making. If you get a second, come back and let's talk about it. And let, let me put my hand on your hand, and I want to pray for you. Yeah, but you're, you've only got one week left to live. We better hurry up. <laughs> we got to finish well here. Some situations are like prison. They confine you. Other situations are like a cross. It's killing you. It's not just confining you. You might ha end up with some disease that's killing you. You might end up just with a difficult relative and it's killing you. You know, I mean, there's all sorts of ways to die, right? But even Jesus on the cross in that period of time was there for others, blessing others, ready to stay, ready to go. And I want you to know today that just about all of your best days are ahead of you. You've had a couple of happy times. You've had some sad times. But most of your sad times are behind you. If you're as old as me or older. And most of your happy times are ahead. So I want you to crush that depression under your feet. That has nothing to do with you. Lift up your head. Your redemption draws nigh. This is the delightful dilemma that we find ourselves in. Will I pick the steak or do I prefer the lobster? Would I prefer the Bahamas or Tahiti? No one needs to pity me. I'm caught in a delightful dilemma. My state of affairs has little or nothing to do with my state of mind. I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last day I will stand with him and with you. Let's close in prayer.
too often we have listened to our own flesh and we have listened to the enemy whispering in our heart that our best days are behind us, that only pain and trouble lies ahead. But we know from the scripture and from Paul's example that this is a complete and utter lie. Fill us with anticipation of that great departure when we explode into heaven by the glory and grace of God and we shout out with tears running down our cheeks, I'm home, I'm home, I'm home, and begin to point out all the people that we have already sent ahead and, and hug and kiss and cry and rejoice and sing and then greet new people coming, Lord, and then see Jesus and fall at your feet and weep and weep and weep for joy. Lord, we thank you. We so much want to live in your victory that you have won for us and that if we are confined in prison as Paul was or on a cross like Jesus was, we can continue to focus on others, do the will of God, touch broken lives, pray down heaven with our prayers, and then depart with a shout of victory and say just like Jesus did when it was all over, it is finished into your hands, Lord. I commend my spirit. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.